Well, hello, all you beautiful homesteaders, land lovers, and farm life dreamers. Today, we talk with farmsteaders Josh and Kylie from Ernest Roots Farm in northern Alabama. They're millennials from the world of tech and engineering. They returned to Kylie's roots of multi-generational farming. As Kylie put it, doors were opened during the COVID pandemic and they embraced the opportunity. Today, they farm in a different way than prior generations as they've embraced rotational grazing and adopted some permaculture concepts on their farm. They're definitely in growth mode, but they have big dreams and big goals, including a state-inspected poultry processing facility. No small feat. I'm Judith Farrell Horvath, shepherdess and owner at Fairhill Farm in Central Ohio. I started with the legal backyard chickens while at my white collar job. After getting busted, our family made the leap to farm life and a decade in now, the world is a different place. Yes, is it worth it? Here we talk about the experience of the startup and the steep learning curve that goes with adopting a farm fresh lifestyle. My mission is to help you sidestep avoidable errors and unnecessary costs or losses and help you accelerate adopting a farm life. I bring stories of others who made the same leap. We hear of their successes and fails and get a glimpse into where their lives are today. So now enjoy the interview. Okay, and we're recording. Hey, how are you guys? Welcome. Good, how are you? Pretty good. Welcome. Glad to be here. Thanks for inviting us. Yeah, so glad to have you guys on. So uh, you guys are Ernest Roots Farm. Can you guys, can you introduce yourselves and talk a little bit about what you do and what your farm's all about? Yeah, so I'm Colleen Morrison and um, I'm Josh's wife and we've been doing this since 2017. And we did grass-fed beef and lamb and pastured pork and poultry. And we've also got a family milk cow and um, we've got honeybees. And hopefully that's something that we're gonna get into into the future. Uh, we're talking about your family history farming. Yeah, so I'm a third generation farmer. Okay. So um, my grandfather was actually Ernest. And so he kind of taught um, him and my uh, grandmother actually taught my dad um, how to farm. And then my dad taught me. And so then I kind of taught Josh the ropes and stuff. And so that's how we've kind of got our um, got our way in farming. And so that's where the name comes from. Hmm. So I'm a, a first generation since several generations removed from the farm. So I knew Jack Diddley about it. I'm, so I'm, I'm married into it. <laughs> been learning ever since and been hooked. So uh, so uh, the way we met, we, what we do, what we focus on um, is we focus on producing healthy, nutrient dense food for our families and the family within our community. And uh, we focus on quality, not quantity. And uh, we just try to produce healthy food and we, we try to closely as we can mimic an animal's natural behavior, the rotational patterns in a controlled environment using portable infrastructure, electric netting. So it's rotational grazing, regenerative agriculture, you've heard those terms. Yeah. Um, and we try to just do that as best we can. Always learning, making a lot of errors. <laughs> yeah. That's what farming's all about, making plenty of errors. Yeah, you're not alone. So you've been doing this for seven years? Mm -hmm. with Ernest Farms. Okay. And you guys are in Alabama or Tennessee? Or you're, yeah, we're in Alabama. You're in Alabama. 
Okay. Okay. Um, so is the, is the rotational grazing for, you said beef, pork, lamb, mm -hmm. and chicken? Yep. Oh my goodness. You're doing it all. So is this full time for both of you? Um, just for me right now. Okay. Oh, uh, she stepped down from, we're, we're both uh, got civil engineering backgrounds. Oh. Uh, we, uh, we started out, we, 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 we did telecommunication um, design and fiber routes. She did that and then she stepped down to be a stay at home mom. And uh, she, she runs, she runs the farm business. I'm still an outside plant engineer, telecommunication work. I, that's my day job. And then my, my role was pretty much to, uh, build things <laughs> uh, i'm always coming up with new ideas uh, cleaning things from other farmers uh building stuff to try to just improve our efficiency um so i'm the builder she's the brains behind the operation <laughs> so do you guys farm the way that kylie that your family has three generations back no we we don't we so my my grandfather was a dairy farmer and um, he uh, came from Wisconsin and started um, dairy farming down here. And then when he married my grandmother, they got into um, cattle farming. And um, so that's kind of what my side of the family still does. My dad still runs the cattle farm and we actually purchased our um, cattle from him to run in our program. And so it's a big family, um, a family ordeal. But, um, and then we got to thinking about how, well, we would love to raise, you know, chicken for our family and, and lamb for our family and do some pigs for our family. And it kind of just expanded to, well, let's, let's see where we can take this as far as helping others and feeding the community and, and that sort of thing. So we branched off um, a good bit from, from what, from where we started. Diversified really fast. And that was, uh. That was a huge undertaking, and we, we, we bit off too much we can chew at first. We added pigs, chickens, and egg layers, meat birds, chickens, and egg layers, and pigs all in like the same year on top of cows. We figured, like, hey, we know how to farm. We know cattle. How hard could this be? And <laughs> I think cows are the easiest. Cows are the easiest, yeah. <laughs> we had okay. pigs escaping. Bob, five-strand Bob bar fence can keep cows in, but it can't keep in pigs. Yeah. We was chasing pigs all over the place. That, that led us into electric fencing, uh, rotational electric netting, and that kind of stuff. Well, uh, that's 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 pretty neat. So you said that you started back six years ago, and you said a little you bit off more than you could chew. Have you? Did you have to pare back, or did you catch up? Which which game did you play? We, um, I think we dialed back a little bit. Yeah. yeah, we dialed back a little bit and then COVID hit and we we we, we ramped up because demand for what we do increased. Mm -hmm. We tried to scale. Yeah. We had to scale up a lot because our product was getting sold out. People were looking for their local farmer to, yeah. to buy um, these things that weren't available in the stores anymore. And so mm -hmm. um, we we ramped up then. Um, that was 2020. And that's when we started our online um, store and everything and so that was a big yeah. huge jump for us we, um, we primarily sold at farmers markets pre-covid and that was our only means of our only sales channel and that was very hard for me to do because i work a full-time job mm -hmm. i would have to take fridays off um but then when covid hit we was we, we were forced to find other options 
fortunately we had got our, our new our online platform like three or four months before COVID really hit. So we're kind of dabbling in and experimenting with it. And then COVID hit and it was like, this is our only choice. And that led us into e-commerce, online sales. And now that's all we do. Uh, it works, it jives well with my my main job. Um, we just, we we sell online. We deliver to people's houses, go meet at drop points in town. Um, it's been working really great for us. I do on-farm pickup. So do you, so Josh, you're still working full-time. <clears throat> Kyla, you're doing, you're running all the farm. Mm -hmm. Yes. And okay. So are you able, do you need a, a farm hand to help you out or your kids, or are you able to run it all yourself? So we've got two, two young boys, a six-year-old and a three-year-old Atticus and Augustus, and they're with me everywhere. I homeschool too. So mm -hmm. we'll homeschool in the mornings and then they get a lot of homeschool during the day, just real world on the farm and um, yeah. everything. But a good a good deal of our day is spent doing stuff outside and doing the rotations of the animals. Uh, you know, if we got to haul water that day or anything that we can do while Josh is um, working. And then whenever he gets off, we're out there together as a family doing the other odds and ends, building something, working on something. Always um, always something going on but as of right now we don't have farmhand we have family help um we live right next to my family we're all right here so my dad and my sister my brother-in-law and their kids are all right here and so we're trying to just kind of get it to be where it's this big family family thing and um, like I'd mentioned earlier we we get our cows from my dad and so that's something that we've all already over the years and since I've been little have always been working the cows and kind of had that life. So I'm used to it. And so it's, it's, um, it's definitely something that we spend every day working, working towards um, getting something accomplished and, and something done. Now I'm a, I'm fortunate enough to have a job uh, where I work from home. So I, I have, uh, I sit behind my computer at least eight hours a day. I do my feeding in the morning. I get up at like 530 every morning, milk the cow, do all the feeding and and just get everything. The, the, the main things done, like feed the animals, water them, check in, make sure everybody's alive, uh, that kind of thing. And then I uh, I come sit by my desk and then uh, if something happens, fence falls down, cows get out, sheep get out, whatever. I'm able to stop what I'm doing, go address it, come back to work and then get my time in. My, my, I got a very flexible schedule. So just not eight to five guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah you're fortunate. That's that's yeah. good that you can do that. Yeah. Mm. So what was the, did, was there sort of an event or some reason you guys decided to move? I mean, you have obviously got a lot of schooling with your civil engineering and you're moving back into agriculture. Neither one of you went to school for agriculture. No, nope. mm -mm. and it's something like now that I'm older uh -huh. and this is what we're doing. I wish it was something yeah. that it's like, why did, why didn't we do this? Um, not saying that you have to have a degree to do this at all. Right. Um, you know, I don't think you do, but it would have, I feel like it would have been beneficial in some way, whether what, you know, what other doors would have been open down the line if we had, but, um, I don't think you have to have a degree, You're but work ethic. yeah. And, um, but as far as, you know, having the background that we have going through the school and for engineering and stuff, for me, it was just mainly um, coming home to be the stay at home mom, to be here for my kids and 
to um, have the opportunity to homeschool them. And then the farming was just always in our roots. And um, it was something that we were very interested in. And thankfully, Josh was interested in it too. And it was just kind of like, hey, but let's see where this goes. And we've we've been very blessed to be able to do that Um, with him working from home and with me being home. um, We've had a lot of um, open doors, I think, to make it a little bit easier. So. Um, we, we got we got to where we were um health conscious health food conscious trying to watch what we eat and stuff yeah um that led us a, a lot into diversifying adding more things watching what we eat um that that helped out a lot there yeah that's how it all started we um we had our son our first son in 2017 and we were like let's start let's start a garden and so we started a garden and I feel like that's kind of like your that and chickens is like where you really get your your feet wet. It's like right. from there, it just can escalate if you're not careful. And um, and then for us, it did. It's like, well, we like to eat chicken, but we don't want, you know, we want a certain kind of chicken raised a certain way. Let's raise chicken. And then it kind of just opened the door to where could this go? And we want to provide our kid with the best possible food pot that we could we could provide right. and we were like we're farmers we can do it ourselves yeah, we're, we've always been self-sufficient minded okay that that's uh, prepping preppers so to speak like <laughs> thinking ahead uh that's been our kind of been our mentality um and engineering mindset has, yeah. has always been our thing um starting out we always wanted to do things my way building stuff Get a get a some harebrained idea and wanted to want to build it. Like we got into aquaponics one time. I spent like five hundred dollars and grew three strawberries. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was that was an interesting project. But uh, we always been engineering mindset. It's mindset, and now looking back, um, won't do it my way. We spent a lot of time and money and effort doing something when we could have gleaned ideas from other people and learn from them and then tweak it our way so now i like reach out reaching out networking with others watching youtube videos getting ideas and a lot of my builds that i do now a lot of it's gleaned from other people and i just tweak it um so that's uh, one of our things we've learned looking back in the past is don't try to reinvent the wheel yeah good advice yeah uh talking about our builds we have three design criteria here uh, when we build anything and that's uh we want things to be mobile where we can move it anywhere on the property we need it and move it to any land that we may own or lease and uh we want it to be modular where it can scale we as we scale up or down we can duplicate it and we want it to be versatile um where it serves more than one purpose so if we build something and it's for uh chickens and sits there for we use it for three months, but it sits there for not for what nine months. I don't, I don't want to do that. It, it's a lot of I want to get the maximum use out of something for the money we put into it. So we look at versatility on everything, and uh, a lot of that you, you know Joe Solid and Polyface Farms. Yeah, yeah. yeah we, we read read like five or six of his books. I've been a great mentor there. Watching his YouTube videos, I actually got to meet him and Daniel a couple of times. Went mm-hmm. to their farm. We went to their farm when in 2018. Yeah. Well, when we really got into this movement, we went to their went to their farm, and that was very eye opening. 
seeing what they've done uh, over the past, what, since the 60s, I think, when they started. Yeah. How they've done it, it was just very intriguing. This is just a, this is a, it's a new concept, but it wasn't really. It was new to the modern age, but farming like they did 100 years ago, pre, pre-industrial agriculture and I, that was really interesting to me just seeing a, a, a new an old way an old way of doing things but a new twist to it with modern conveniences that's true that's definitely been his hallmark um he's big on mobile and modular right he talks about that but then i know that he also relies on solar stuff and electrified stuff which certainly wasn't around 100 and 150 years ago so right yeah yeah we we, we do that uh solar like electrical ah, solar chargers for everything yeah um we have uh individual systems like our we got a solar system that charges our perimeter and then we have a solar system for our pigs our egg layers uh our sheep and cows um everybody's got their own system if one of them fails we can tie back to the perimeter Oh. Um, uh, I always like it plan A and plan B a contingency because in the past we only had like one charger it, or it was electric power goes out animals get out if hmm. it fails all systems fail so I like keeping everything on its own so if it's an if it has an issue it, the whole system doesn't collapse so it makes sense so we got a lot of we got a lot of solar chargers it makes sense um did did you have to do a lot of work with your infrastructure since you bought the land? Water lines and power drops and things like that? So we moved. You don't go with reason why? And so my mother actually passed away in um, 2020 unexpectedly. And so that was kind of a, um, a shock for us. And we did a lot of um, praying and, and um, just really talking talking it out of what our next move would be and we um had lived a valley over from from here and we decided that it was time then to make the move back back home and um god's just opened up had opened a lot of doors for us and we were able to purchase a house adjacent to to my family land and um we came back home to the farm to help dad and be here for him and uh just kind of um to be around and close um for him and our, our sister and our brother-in-law they they sold their house and moved back to the family farm too before us mm-hmm. right before us so, um, um a lot of doors were opened for us to be able to make this move back here and so we're kind of starting over in a sense now like josh had said we make everything mobile and um that helped tremendously because a lot of stuff just came with us from yeah. from our old farm and but now we're really starting over um, as far as like paddocks go for our um, for our beef and for the lambs, the rotational grazing. We've had to start start over on that. We had to do um, new perimeter fences and completely um, everything new. But everything was able to transition from over there to over here because how we structured the business. Right, and so um, but as far as water lines and stuff go, that's mm-hmm. something that we've still not got ran yet. That's our weakest yeah. link, link, and every year we say we're going to invest in water line. We were going to do it over there, but fortunately we did not invest it because we now we're here. Mm-hmm. But it's always been our weakest link, and uh, every year was like we're not going to use water hoses anymore. They break, they they bust through the winter. We had five or six busts this past winter, and we were like we're not going to buy anymore. We bought six. 
uh, a couple months ago. Um, but that's uh, it's one of our next big projects is water lines because we wear ourselves out trying to haul waters. Mm -hmm. we got 21 pigs right now. And it's about to be June, July, August, and the hottest months in Alabama. Oh. Mm -hmm. We're going to be wearing, wearing ourselves ragged and then hauling sheep, water to the sheep and cows. And Have you ever pulled a water hose, 600, 600 feet of water hose across the pasture with water in it? It's a no, worst. sir. I think I need a draft horse to do that. Yeah, it, wears, oh my goodness. it wears you out. Yeah. I bet. I bet. Yeah. But, 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 yeah, fortunately, we, the way we had things set over there, we just, we transitioned. Our business was structured. We, we come, it came with us. Mm -hmm. I mean, our, our main, our, our house was, was sold in our garage, so we had everything in, but everything else was, that was marked or came with us. And it, it took us some time to get reset up, but we're we're getting all the kinks back back in. All the, all the links in the chain are getting put back together. It's only been like a little over a year. About a year. Year, yeah, yeah. hasn't been that long. Oh, you've only you only relocated one year ago. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh. Oh, I misunderstood. Oh, I thought you. Oh, wow. So that was pretty fast for you to bounce back. So what yeah. do you guys run it? Do you, did, were you close enough where you could keep your old customers? Oh yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. Five that's so nice. Five minutes down the road. Five oh, yeah. oh my gosh. That's so nice. Yeah. We weren't far to begin with, but we just wanted to be here on the farm. Yeah. But, but yeah. This is home and it has always been home. That's good. Yeah. Is the land uh, in better condition or worse condition than your old farm? So where we lived, our old farm was actually my grandfather's house, Ernest. And so um, it, uh, I would say it was, it was just as taken care of as this. Yeah. Um, it was good land. Um, hay fields were used row crop for a while. Then it was cow, milk cows and beef, and then hay fields. Right. So, um, yeah. And we came over here and um, God does the, the rotational grazing with his cows. He does the that and um so yeah we came over here to good pastures and it's just it's all been a big blessing mm -hmm. because we we didn't have to do a lot of groundwork that I know some people do when that you when you get new land and it's like oh goodness we've got to we've got to build the land first and we've got to start from square one before we can even think about our cows you know being where they need to be and our sheep getting the grass they need and that kind of thing so it's been it's been it's been a very easy transition. Like I said, if it if it weren't for God opening the doors that He has, then we would be in it. Um, I don't know where we would be. He's just He's made made it very easy the past few years. Wow. So, what do you guys do? Do you run the cows through and then follow with the chickens? Uh, so we have our, we have not about nine acres is what we got. Um, that our mm -hmm. our farm buildings on and we got it kind of divided into maybe two-thirds and a third where our family milk cow is on about a third of it we're rotating her through that um and then the cows and sheep are rotated together on the other two-third okay. and we, um and the chickens are just we drug across the field uh we moved in what the, the, meat, the meat birds get moved twice a day. Mm -hmm. The egg layers get moved maybe once a week. Yeah. They've, okay. got, they've got a bigger pilot with mm -hmm. um, electric netting. 
everything set up around them. Yeah. And uh, one of the things that I, I focus on is improving the soil. Everything we do is try to build the soil structure, improving it. Um, and we, uh, that's the main, that's the, that's the main goal. Once you improve the soil, it's the foundation to everything. Then, then you have your, everything else comes after that. You got your, 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 your plants. They all have more protein and more minerals and stuff for the, for the animals to eat. So, so trying to focus on building our soil and then we're trying to transition to focusing on more producing forage and not hay. Oh, this we, we, we're we're good at growing hay, but forage is something I'm wanting to try to improve on. Uh, planting legumes, um, whatever else that would be good for the animals to eat. Mm-hmm. So, is this all out of Joel Salton's uh, playbook, his uh, salad bar beef book? Yeah, I've read that book. Yeah. I've uh, Greg Judy. I've got a lot of stuff from him. Yeah. Yep, he's certainly the guy that I look to when I've got a sheep question. White Oaks Pasture, I follow yeah. all them. So a lot of this, a lot of this stuff, we're, we're getting gleaned from other other farms and trying to implement it and figure out what works for us. Trial and error, that's a oh, huge, yeah. a huge deal. <laughs> Trial and error. Mm-hmm. Just have you, have you been to either of those other farms, White Oaks or um, Greg Judy's place? I have not. We've talked to. Greg Judy's wife mm-hmm. thought with the White Oaks, uh, White Oaks farm manager. We want to go there one day. Um, three and a half hours. That's on our bucket list to go to White Oaks. It's not too uh, bad. Bluffton's where it is, right? Bluffton, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, another farm that's been really, really in- inspirational to us, been good role models, is uh, Pasture Life Farms in Florida. Uh, we've been to their farm. In o- I think they're in O'Brien. I think O'Brien, Florida. O'Brien, Florida. Pasture life. Yeah, we met them through APA. We're we're oh, yeah. we're really involved in APA. Um, but we really like touring, going to other people's farms, visiting, networking with others, learning, sharing ideas. Um, that that's how we grow. Uh, learning from the others. We any other farms we went to? Polyface. That was the big one. Everyone has to go to Polyface. It's like the pilgrimage if you're in this place. <laughs> yeah. A lot of our experience and a lot of things we've learned has really came from APA. Are you familiar with APA? Yeah, I used to belong to their newsletter back in the day when they just had like a listserv. Um, uh, you know, like once a week, their their whole digest would come out on email and my husband and I would read over it. Yeah, that was like 10 years ago, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've been members since what 2017. Yeah, been to two conferences. Okay, I gotta say that is probably the most beneficial group that we we've, we've been a part of. Really? Yeah the 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 people w- within it make it up. Like everybody's willing to share uh, experience with you. It doesn't matter if you have zero chickens or a million. What scale you are, everybody's willing to help one another, lift one another up, because we don't consider each other competition. Our competition is out there in those grocery shelves, grocery store shelves. Yeah, that's uh, truth. The networking it with, within APA has been so great. Be able to reach out to others who's in the same journey as us or maybe similar or have done it in the past 
call them, hey, what do y'all recommend doing this, getting advice? I've called farmers across this country, Oklahoma, Florida, Tennessee, Georgia, uh, Arkansas. Networking is huge in, the, in, our, in our little community, our Know Your Food, Know Your Farmer community. Yeah. And, and Apple has really opened up a door of a group of people to source from and learn from. Now, you know, it's interesting. That's something that's definitely different from previous generations. Being able to network nationwide, just like that, because of the internet, right? I mean, yeah, yeah, that, that's that's so awesome. Yeah, yeah, people knew other people in their area, or maybe extended family, or maybe just cattle guys. But being able to speak to people across the country and even across the world who are doing similar things at the same time—that's something else. There was one guy I talked to who's a Wagyu beef guy. And he was telling me how he's on the phone with farmers in Australia and Japan and Canada and, and you know, all over the world every day. It, he said it's, it's fantastic. Wow. Yeah. Sounds like you do similar things with your um, pasture poultry. Are you guys still growing? Grow, growing pasture poultry? Yeah. You still doing pasture poultry for customers? Yes, and we are scaling that up uh okay we've been making moves for three years now to scale that up okay really really enjoy it um we've been doing 100 birds per batch for the last five or six years and we've been making moves to increase to 250 to 300 birds per year and you're able to move that I much mean, i mean my bad my bad per batch okay so going from 100 birds per batch to 300 birds per batch and uh We've been we've we've built a mobile brooder to do 250 birds. That was like three years ago. Last last year we we purchased an all new processing equipment to do 250 300 birds. Um, we within the next week we'll be completing our our biggest build ever, a, a shelter to hold 300 birds. A mobile shelter. So. We're really ramping up our pasture poultry because of the demand we've seen for it. Um, and uh, we're building a a 30 by 100 foot building to house our small scale indoor poultry processing. And hopefully it'll be the one of the only farms with with a USDA inspected facility on site um, down the road. So we're, we're really making a lot of moves to scale up poultry. Wow. So let me, that's big news. Yes. You're going to, that's huge. Um, now, do you guys have a processing bottleneck locally? Is that why you've decided to do that? We, we have been processed. We process our birds ourselves. And we have been okay. since the beginning. And we can do that in Alabama. We're fortunate enough to be one of the, I think the, the 10 states. Alabama has an exemption where we can do a thousand birds uh -huh. or twenty thousand birds. There's really not much difference between the two, but you can only operate under one within a calendar year. But we're able to process birds that we raise and grow on farm and sell with anywhere within the state of Alabama to um, to customers, stores, the retail stores, restaurants, farm table events, all that. And we've been under the thousand bird since 2016. This year, I believe we should get into 20,000. 
exemption. Yeah, and we should be in the twenty thousand exemption this year. We'll probably be doing twelve hundred birds, maybe, um, or a little more than that. But uh, we're, we're trying to we're trying to scale up fluid fluidly, not doing it all at one time. So we, we've been getting our ducks in a row for the past two or three years, building it up. And the, the building's going to be the last the last key of the puzzle. We're trying to get our we're calling it our food battleship. We're trying to get that out of the harbor because that's going to be our in our small scale poultry processing. We're going to start shipping, hopefully within the state of Alabama, starting out. Have a retail store, and we're wanting to try to go towards agritourism more. Uh, mm-hmm. Bring people out, show them how to milk a cow, process a chicken, make butter. Yeah. Um, Offer some classes. Classics, homeschool days for kids, that kind of stuff. Great. So that's that's down. That's plans. That's the goal. Yeah, that's that's impressive. Those are those are some noble goals. And help help me understand here the so you're going to get your USDA inspection for your poultry processing, but that's going to be just for you. Or are you going to hire it out to other people, too? I, I, we'll start out just for us, uh-huh. to learn, but mm-hmm. eventually it will go to other people. And I think we're going to start out doing uh, custom exempt first to get our get our feet wet. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't want to bite, I don't want to bite off too more than we, too much that we can chew at one time. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll process birds for other people um, for their personal consumption and uh, learn it, learn that, learn the logistics of of scaling up that, and then and then go for USDA. We're applying for a USDA grant. Hopefully, we'll get it if all, if all goes well. Um, I think in that grant we'll have 24 to 36 months to apply for the state of uh, USDA exemption status or USDA inspection status. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll, we'll, that'll be down the road. If we get the grant, we got to go USDA um, eventually. Okay. So you're not going to be engineering for much longer now, are you, Josh? <laughs> so, <laughs> so when I was 30. Don't worry, your colleagues and your employer, they're not going to listen to this. <laughs> uh, when, when I was 30, I made a statement on my birthday. It was, uh-huh. I, by the time I turn 40, I'm, I'm going to be a full-time farmer. Okay. Well, I'm 35, and I got five more years to go, and it, and we're getting a lot of ducks in a row where that might be possible. But if it's not, we're laying the foundation for my kids or my nieces and nephews to uh-huh. have that option one day. So I like how you're thinking generationally. I'm not sure that a lot yes. of people think that way uh, unless they're from a family of like doctors or lawyers. Like, I don't know that people think people from uh, professional backgrounds think generationally. Like I have been an engineer at this firm and you're going to be an engineer. My grandfather was an engineer at this firm too. I don't know that that's necessarily a thing. That's I, I like hearing that it's sort of, um, there's something kind of timeless and and uh, steady about that, you know, a little more generational continuity, a little more grounded. Right. Yeah. Now, you mentioned that you thought that some, if you'd gone into agriculture instead of civil engineering and gone for agricultural de- degree, different doors would have been open to you. What did you mean by that? Well, I just meant like, would, would, we, would we have went more like, um, maybe working for the USDA or, you oh. know, what, what kind of 
what kind of opportunities there as far as in this field of agriculture would have been there. Um, okay. With that degree, that's kind of, you know, what I meant by that, but, you know, just still going back to, our, you know, even our civil engineering degree, I feel like it helps out tremendously with what we're doing. Yeah. Um, but to an extent, it's just kind of, I don't know, farming to me, it's just you, you just get out there and you're just <laughs> in the dirt and you're, you're getting your hands dirty and you're learning as you go. And it's just real world, um, real world um, experience. You know, you're going to fail some, you're going to win some, and you're just going to be out there in nature. And I don't, I don't think I can think of anything else I'd rather be doing um, and just working in and working in the dirt and <laughs> just we went to school to, and with the intention of building houses building bridges uh skyscrapers yeah. all that stuff that's that was not that's not our goal now uh i want to clarify something okay we, we said we got civil engineering degrees all right we don't have we got a two-year degree but not a four okay we we we've been together since 2007 and so we all through our college years and stuff we were together we got married when we were at University of Alabama trying to get our four-year degree. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is something we haven't really shared publicly. Um, but uh, we were working our way through college. I was working sometimes two to three jobs at a time to pay our way through college. Mm -hmm. We got in and over our head out of debt. Um, and it got, to, I was like 12 to 14 hours left to graduate. I dropped out of college and went and got a job. And that's where I'm at now, uh, telecommunications. So I, I ended up in telecommunications somehow. Um, but uh, I got a job and then started paying off debt, trying to get her through. And then the next year you dropped out. Uh, and we, she got started working with, with me doing telecommunications and then hadn't looked back since. Uh, we got, we got out of debt and just, Doing what we got to do to to farm, really. Uh, that's been a really our, our main passion since. Was there was was it just the debt piling up that made you say, "Bag this, we're going into farming," or was it a family thing? I don't know. Correct me if I'm wrong, but when I when I'm in debt, my first thought isn't, "Oh, I'm going to pull myself out of this financial hole by becoming a farmer." Right. <laughs> oh. Yeah. I really don't think it was ever let's stop. For me personally, it wasn't okay. I'm done with this school. I'm I'm done with this. I'm I'm this door's been shut. I don't think this is where I'm supposed to be anymore. This door's shut. And it was just a piece about about leaving that part of my life. But it was never like, okay, that shut. Now I'm gonna go farm. It was more like that shut. And then I actually started working with Josh for a few years. And we just got into that and and that door was opened. And even then we weren't really thinking farming. We were just putting our head down. We were working, we were doing, you know, our corporate job. And, and then um, we decided it was time to start a family. And when I got pregnant with um, our first son, it was like, okay, when we have this, when we have this baby, what can we do for me to be able to stay at home with them? And, um, you know, we kind of made those moves and, um, then from there, when we had him, it was really when we started focusing on, okay, what can we, we, we need to, 
we're, we've got this farming background. We know wh what to do, how to work, and what can we do to provide him with the best? Let's grow our own vegetables. Let's do this kind of thing. And that's kind of where we really took off on the farming thing, kind of came back to our roots of it all, yeah. um, while still helping with the family farm and that kind of being there, but it not really being our main our main drive or focus at that point. Um, I feel like we kind of had a few doors closed and that was always there. We were always helping um, mom and dad with things and just um, being here, but it was never, you know, do you agree? It was never really like that was our driving point. Yeah, if, if we would have went the same, the, the direction we were going, we would have finished our degree, we probably wouldn't be living here at the farm. I mean, if no. Our job would have took us to other states. I, there's people we went to school with and they're working not at home. They're off building bridges and stuff uh, in other states. Uh, so it would have definitely, definitely been a different lifestyle. So I say God works in ways and he, he put us in this path. And he put us where we needed to be for sure. I was already, question it. Yeah, I was already working with a um, highly sought after engineering company. I had had it all laid out and I would have had a fantastic job when I graduated. And like Josh said, there's no doubt I would have been in many states working on many big projects um i already knew that because i already had been in many states mm -hmm. just in my time i'm working with them during college and so for for that door to have been shut and to been at peace with that um and then to come home and and to be at peace with doing this it's just been a complete complete 360 for us i think just uh, and we've been we've been a lot of places and uh had a lot of different opportunities and this is where we ended up, and I'm I'm very thankful for that. Is it hard for you to travel and see other places? I mean, it sounds like you got a chance to see some. Uh, oh wow! Okay. We said that's so we're we're farmers, and it's really hard to leave the farm. But that is our number one passion is traveling. Travel. We um we do we tr we still try to travel a lot. Um, we try more so now in the fall when it's a little bit more um laid back around here and I say that loosely because we are pretty much always wide open but it is a little bit more laid back we don't have as much going on um and, and that's when we try to travel yeah we um so we're farmers addicted to traveling that's two things that don't go together yeah um <laughs> we, oh we, how we achieve that is uh, we set up our systems where uh, the pigs the chickens the, the, everything can last three four or five days on their own like the waterers the feeders okay they're independent of one another as i mentioned earlier with the electric system and then our, we have it where somebody we don't want to go we don't want to go somewhere on vacation and leave leave uh somebody here to watch the animals and have to worry about the, the what they're going to run into we, we set it up to where we feed them on day one and if we got to go somewhere for five days they don't have to feed the pigs for five days and make, they, the make sure it's where things working right. Yeah. Taking care of it, everything, but water is working. As far as their labor goes, we try to make it as um, easy as possible yeah. when we're not here. We like bust it for like a week or two to take off five days or a week to go on vacation to make it easier on the person that's, that's watching our animals. We have fortunate enough to have friends and families that will tend to animals for us while we're gone. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and that that's great um but uh well, I, was going, I, was going, I was going somewhere else with that um but yeah we like to travel uh we've been all over the place europe 
three went to Europe for three, three four weeks. Sail the, yeah, the Caribbean. Uh, we're, we're we're addicted to travel. We play hard. I mean, wait, 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 we we work hard, and we play hard. Yeah, we have we have a we set things up like we used to breed pigs. We got out of that because we had to carry pigs through winter to breed the, the sows and boars. Yeah, there's a lot of different logistics there. Um, so we got out of that, focused on feeding, support another another farmer, buy buy stock from them. Um, we uh, what else? We uh, a family milk cow. One of the biggest things that we we get asked about is, are y'all gonna sell milk? And we pet milk, yeah. <laughs> Quotation marks. Um, but uh, for animal use only. Yeah. Yeah. yeah totally yeah. absurd. Um, but uh, that's something that we. I don't know if we ever cross that bridge because of the commitment of having a family milk cow and a dairy. That would tie us down when we, mm-hmm. when we need to have a break. Like there's sometimes some years where we're we're ready for fall. We're almost burnt out. Uh, we we got to have a break. Um, so we try to set set things up to where we take a break. December, January, February, we, we plan for the next year. Um, but yeah, we got to have that break to keep our sanity. <laughs> take, a <break. laughs> we take a breather and get ramped up for the next year. Yeah, that's true. It's it's winter time is when it's freezing cold out. It's the best time for me because it's it's downtime. It's just. I don't have to go mow. I don't have to worry about all kinds of stuff. Yeah, it's nice. Just to kind of piggyback some off of what Josh was saying about how we used to have um, a breeding pair of pigs and kind of going back to what he was saying about the support, the support system in farming and from what we found is just, um, it's just bar none, like just this, just being able to reach out to other farms and stuff and um, one thing that goes with that, I think, is how you support by what by farming, how you support other farmers. So we we stopped the the breeding of our of our pigs, and now we support um, another farm in doing so. We support a farm by buying the um, the meat birds that we raise out. Yeah. Um, you know, we're supporting um, a lady. We buy our a few ewes a year from to build our sheep herd, and we support her. And uh, like our feed mill, we're supporting them by the feed we buy. It's just, if you really think outside the box of it all, just how much by you being this this farmer, this single farm, how much you're actually, it's like a trickle effect of how much you're actually supporting locally and, and others to keep on doing what they're doing. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. I know that just in, in my relationships with other farmers around here, I got, you know, all these different friendships and people who do the other thing. And I don't have to do this because I know that he's doing it and I can trade this for that. So I'll trade milk for hay with one other family. Right. So hay for year round milk. That's a good trade. As far as I'm concerned, I'm milking the goats anyway. I'm doing a little extra bottle washing and some labels, but other than that, I'm delivering to his barn every other day too, but it works out, you know, it, it really does work out. It's, it's a good, it's a community building experience too. And you rely on your neighbors and they rely on you. Yeah. Do you find the same sort of reliance in, um, in the new area that you moved to? 
Yeah. Yeah. We weren't too far. We didn't move too far. Yeah, oh, that's right. You said it was only like five minutes, right? So that's that's not too far. Have you seen any market different? Well, you hold on. I, I'm going to go back to chickens for a second. Okay. Now, I'm in central Ohio. And I know some people who do meet birds, and they can't seem to move them very easily. Hmm. You know, you sounds like you can keep on growing chickens and you can't you can't even produce enough to supply local demand. We're still out pretty quick. I do. Yeah. Why do you think that might be? Once they taste it, they want more of it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's nothing like it. Uh, <laughs> hey, Brian, if you can do it, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good for you. Yeah, it took a little while for our poultry to to start gaining ground, but once the word started getting out, it mm -hmm. it, it goes pretty quick. Um, we do two lines of poultry. Um, we do a we got our feed from she mentioned feed mill a while ago. Uh, Rosaka Sun Feeds in Georgia. They're they're only non GMO verified feed mill with uh in our area, and we got to go two and a half hours to go get it. Uh. So we have a, a all of our pigs and chickens. Uh, get grain from them from non -G uh, the non-GMO verified feed soy and soy free um, and then we have a line of chicken to get it to touch a different customer base uh, we do organic soy free and we get that from new country organics shipped in from Virginia mm -hmm. uh, so, so we got two lines of chicken because some people just want the good chicken uh, but some people want the organic soy free um mm -hmm. there's there's a big price difference between the two mm -hmm. um we like to offer different cuts that they can't find in the grocery store like two inch tomahawks picanha um organ meats we, we like to make it have options that customers can choose from if they want it they come to us versus going they can't get it at the grocery store um so we got two lines of chickens and we're thinking about doing two lines of beef but that's that's we got to figure the logistics of that. Uh, there's nobody do we do grass fed beef, um, but there's nobody around that does grain fed non GMO. Grain fed non GMO. Yeah, it's something we're pondering because huh. we, we get a lot of requests for it, but we don't we don't offer it. We we sell out of our grass fed beef, but grass fed beef takes like 25, 30 months to grow yeah. out. Yeah, it's, it takes so long, and we can't keep it in stock. It, it, it's just grain grain fed. You can produce it a little, a little quicker, just to to meet that customer demand. There's some people who want grain or used to grain. They don't want grass. Mm -hmm. Um, we like grass. We and we prefer organic, soy free chicken, but we like to offer things that that other customers would want, not necessarily what we would choose. Interesting. I'm sitting here thinking about the guy that I get my there's two different guys that I buy my beef from. And one is all grass fed grass fed grass finished all the way. And the other guy is grass fed and then grain finished like the last six weeks or like that. Yeah, that, that's what we're considering grass fed grain finished. Yeah, yeah only the last six weeks. They're not like on grain from way forward or anything like that. Yeah. yeah, it's just like the last six weeks. And uh, it's sort of this, this, that beef is, it's, it's got sort of the best qualities of both. It's not, you know, you can, it's not fatty, like an all grain fed beef and it's not um, as lean and doesn't have that grass finished 
flavor that sometimes it, you know, beef has. Right. What about your pork? Are you able to, you said, you said you've got a lot of pigs now too. Are you, is that yeah. demand? We have um, amped our pig operation up a lot. So last year, how many pigs did we do? Ten. We did 10 last year. And within um, three weeks, we sold out. And oh. uh, yeah, so we um, doubled that, a little more than doubled this year. We did, we've done, we're running 21 right now. That'll be ready in the fall. And um, we're going to get um, another eight this summer um, to maybe consistently be processing pork now. Um, and that's something new that we've really introduced this year. Usually we do, we get our pigs in the spring and then they're finished by um, the winter and we have a little bit of a break. We usually do 10 or 15. Actually. Yeah, but now we, we're running 21 now and they'll be done by this um, this fall. And then we're getting um, some more wieners in uh, the summer and they'll be ready next spring. So we're going to kind of be uh, in a consistent flow now, I guess, because then we'll get more next spring. But yeah, that's definitely something that's um, that we've amped up on. That's this year we've really um, decided to to level up on that. And I guess our our meat chickens too. We've done a lot of amping up this year because we went from a hundred a batch last year to now we're doing doing three hundred a batch. And a lot of that is due to just having the um, the shelter capacity to put them in once they get once they get grown. And now that we've got that shelter almost built, we'll be able to go into that. And that's helped tremendously being able to have that, um, that structure. So. That's a big structure to be rolling around. How do you move it and, and what's it made out of? Oh, uh, so the hoop structure mm -hmm. um, is, uh, I think it's four, two and a half inch square tube and skids. Okay. And, and it's got top rail chain link fence pipe as it looks like a greenhouse. Oh, okay. Or tarp on it. Yeah. And we haven't moved it yet. We're going to figure that out maybe next week. Figure out what what do we got that's going to move it? Um, because our, our original tractors moved by our backs. We were able to drag them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, they're they're what you call John Skoskovic style tractors. Oh, um, I've got a Suskovich. Yeah, John Skoskovich. I'll say his name wrong. Yeah, I, I got a Suskovich. Uh, that thing's heavy though. I can't move it myself. Yeah, I use a quad to pull it every day. <laughs> Yeah, we've been moving it and slipping in cow patties every now and then. Um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, the structure—it's. Uh, I think we're going to probably have a, a use a tractor for the time being. They make a winch. Make a winch. I'm looking That's at that. You can use to move it, uh, but probably a tractor. Yeah, we got to figure that out. Yeah, we got birds, 300 birds right now, which we've never done at one time, are in the brooder, and they go on pasture when. Next week, mm -hmm. so I gotta have we gotta have it completely done, ready to go by next week. You'll see a YouTube video coming out shortly. You want to watch it? Do, do we get to uh, watch you try to move it the first time and see what happens? We can do that. Yeah. There you go. You get a big. Okay, from pasture life farm. Yeah. Yes. Um, the we went to pasture life farm in uh, Florida and, and saw how they built it, and uh, and they got the ideas from another farm as well. And we, we just went down there, toured it, got to see it firsthand and built it. Mm -hmm. but, yeah, pasture life helps that a lot with the, the build and a, and a farm of shade, you know, shady Matt Cadman. I can't think of his farm name. He's another APA member. He's helped us out with the design as well. That's good. Like shady Oaks Ranch. I think that's his farm name. Shady Oaks. 
there is a place sort of nearish you guys, BDA. Yes. I've talked to their shepherd. We've never been there. I haven't either, but I saw a picture of one of their outdoor um, poultry uh, shelters, and it sounds like what you're describing. It's like um, it's not it's not the hoop house, but it's like the like this, the vertical sides and then the pitched roof, like a yeah. point the top, and then they have that whole thing moving. They have perches about I want to say 14 inches off the ground, and it's all on wheels, and they just move the whole thing. And I think the birds can go under the sides and all around and they just do a perimeter. They don't actually close it up at night. Like my Suskovich, when I put those wheels down, that thing is flat down on the ground, like a turtle, like in its shell, you know? And then I also have Electronet around it. This other shelter that I saw on their website was just, I mean, it's up off the ground, it's on wheels. And when you move it, you move it, you have to pull it. Yeah. Yeah, those are some neat concepts there. Uh, I think they call them. I guess the free ranger ones with netting. Yeah. Uh, different methods to do different things, but all the same goal: mobility, raise chickens on pasture. Yeah, Joe, Joel Salton's got the Millennium Millennial Feather Net. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and that's big. That thing's like a Noah's Ark for chickens, and it's completely open; it doesn't close up at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it's cool to see. That was neat. I'd be too nervous. I'd be too nervous if mm -hmm. something's gonna come in at night and eat on my birds. Yeah, with us, we, we, the reason why we enclose them is we got eagles and hawks and uh -huh. buzzards. Uh, so it's yeah, it's more for their safety. Than, yeah. Than, I mean, now our egg layers they roam around. Uh, we got we got them in a shelter that's behind netting, so they have like two or three one hundred foot nettings with a solar charger. Mm -hmm. And they got they they move around and uh, freely in the in the in the grass outside the shelter, but mm -hmm. they're a little bit smarter, I guess. Um, they look up more than a, than a Cornish cross. Cornish cross is just fat and just <laughs> head down eating. Yeah. Just shoveling it in. So I think we'd lose a lot of lot of meat birds if we had an open concept. Do you guys do Cornish cross? Or you do Freedom Rangers or slow broilers or what do they call? I can't even remember what they're called now. Cornish cross. Um, Cornish cross. The the very first birds we ever did, they were heritage. Mm -hmm. um, we did a batch of was I think it was 50, we did thirty five. And then, I can't remember what they were. They took uh, eighteen weeks to grow. Um, that was our first dive into poultry, and we didn't know a lot. We didn't know nothing about it really. We got used a turkey fryer, uh, made our own plucker. Um, with uh, got some PVC pipe, put some rubber straps on it, and mm -hmm. a drill to pluck the birds. Mm -hmm. Um, we did, I think it was 35 birds. We started at 8 a.m., and we didn't get done until like 3 a.m. Uh, the plucker thing that we made, it looked like I was tarred and feathered because the, the way we would spray water and feathers <laughs> in the air. Her dad helped us that first time processing in 2016, I think it was. Yeah. He hasn't helped us since. <laughs> yeah. We have advanced significantly. Our, our first our first year, year and a half, we it was like, why are we doing it? We, we, could, we, could just, we could just buy this. Yeah, let's just go support somebody else. Yeah, we were in the AMs. Start, yeah. Starting in the AM, ending in the AM, and like 
Got work the next day. Yeah. Oh, my word. Yeah, we've improved significantly. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it is. It is funny. We went through a similar thing with our neighbors who just. Yeah, they got uh, can't remember how many birds they got. I think they got 100 birds or 200 birds. They never had chickens before. And they start off with meat birds at the same time they started with layers. I was like, whoa, damn, you guys are uh, you guys are ambitious. And it was it was one long night because I said, can you help us processing? I said, sure. Of course, you know, there were friends of ours now by this point. And I uh, went down there and taught a class, taught a chicken gutting class. But, you know, to their credit, they had the tables lined up and they had the knives and the bins. And they said, what equipment do you need? And I told him and he went out and he got it and he made sure that every station was supplied everyone had aprons and knives were sharp there were shears there were tubs there were gut buckets there was water it was mm. it was an ice dip it was he had the featherman spinny tub yeah. Yeah. yep we 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 wrestled with the scalder that was a total terrible situation but after we got that up and running um you know hands you know really kudos to them they did a great job but it was just a lot because only our family was experienced and we're teaching two other families how to do it at the same time as we're trying to get through all these birds it was a lot but mm -hmm. they really improved fast and it's impressive to go from 20 minutes per bird to like three minutes a bird you know you know you just whip through it yeah, yeah. and I, I feel like with processing chickens it's one of those things like you've really got to have hands on the more hands-on just get in there and do it and the more you do it the faster you're going to learn and the better you're going to get at it it's one of those things you've just got to do and the right equipment is huge yes that is a, a huge help yeah what do you guys use now so we, we uh, bought the entire featherman yeah package deal mm -hmm. and uh we went from doing 100 birds a day taking all day with like Two other people, yeah. Uh, sometimes six when we pieced out. Um, to now, Kyle and I can handle. We did a hundred birds ourselves, and we're done. It was done with, by lunch. Whoa, uh, four or five hours. Yeah. Now we haven't pieced out yet. We're going to be doing that in, in a couple of weeks, several weeks. Um, trying to see how that works, but but it's been a huge game changer by investing in the equipment where it doesn't kill us. <laughs> um, yeah so that's true that is true yeah the equipment definitely helps a lot so why'd you settle on the featherman uh we, we met them in apple yeah um that's several, several people that recommended it um and it's been working for us um yeah that's the same reason we got it because we were turned on to it through APA and everyone recommended it. And there was a lot of peer support for tips and tricks for using the equipment. It was really mm -hmm. easy. What about your cattle? Do you, do you, uh, do you do your own cattle on your farm or do you send them off? Uh, so we only process poultry. Uh -huh. All of our livestock goes to a processor. It's like three or four minutes down the road. Uh, oh, our state, state inspected, very convenient. Yeah. Red meat's, uh, gotta be red meat's gotta be inspected uh, unless we do a custom so a whole or half custom uh -huh. um but retail we can get it inspected and state inspected and then sell within the state 
and our poultry, our poultry we can sell under the exemption within the state. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, local processor down the road, very convenient. That's good. Hard to get dates sometimes. Well, like a lot of times now. Yeah, we're running to that a lot lately. We're having to take ten pigs to Tennessee in in October or is it September? September. We couldn't get any dates. Um, I, I'm going to, have to wake up at three thirty a.m. and go to Tennessee with the load of pigs. It's going to be fun. <sighs> what would you say to people looking to get into this? What would you tell them? Someone, you know, if I was new getting into farming, I was like, well, what should I expect? Is it how? Well, what's it going to be like? How would you describe this? I think my my first piece of advice would be don't be afraid to mess up because it's going to happen. Um, I think like for me personally speaking you go in with these expectations and you know we were talking about social media earlier you you see a lot of things on social media and it's like oh they've got it all together but then like <laughs> we visit we, we visited a lot of farms and you really see them for who they are and and you realize like y'all are struggling on the same things you know it's really you know their their world is just as real as our world over here and so I guess my my biggest advice would be like, don't, don't be afraid to mess up because it's going to happen. And I know it sounds cliche, but that is literally the most that you learn. Or I feel like is from those times is that that's going to stick with you. And it's going to be like, okay, we know not to do that next time, or this is how we're going to move going forward. And, and it kind of just, it, it's, a, it's a good lesson, but it's going to happen. <laughs> Hands down, it's going to happen. Something that we started out doing from the get-go was how we price our products. We would look at what other people are doing in our area and price our product based on that. Um, sometimes by doing that, not knowing our true cost, mm -hmm. we were paying people to eat our food. Like make, or making 25 cents on a chicken or yeah. 50 cents on chicken, you know. When you lose a couple on pasture, that really hurts your your your, your margins, your profit margins when you're only doing 100 and you lose 10 because of the Alabama heat. But um, we, we we price everything kindly based on what others are doing. But knowing our true cost is um is knowing your true cost is key to making a sustainable business. Mm -hmm. Like now, like when people who come to us and say, "Hey, uh, uh, what what would you price your product as, or how would you price this?" Getting started, they come to us for advice. Now, mm -hmm. one thing I say is, I don't like telling them. Our, our costs, I'll say, no, figure out your cost the best you can and add at least 30%. Because um, them basing their prices off us or others is going to hurt them if, it, if it's if it's not their true cost. Okay, know what you have in it. Know what you have in it, yeah. Have they should be able to calculate how much they have into it if they are keeping track of their, their costs. Right. Yeah, like starting out, you don't know that. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, that's first, interesting. Yeah, you have to do some projections the best you can. Yeah, that's true. We did that based off of others, and it, it was just we, we pay people to eat our food. <laughs> uh, that's bad. Yeah. Have you been able to keep your prices the same, even with the increase in cost? Since you're mostly well, I guess no, your birds wouldn't be mostly pasture raised, like grass and whatnot because they are very feed de feed dependent chickens are feed dependent they are yeah yeah our grain we've had to increase some mm -hmm. um 
we, we try to keep it. We, we don't want to gouge. No. We try mm-hmm. to make a, 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 a product that's good quality and that can be affordable. But we also have to we understand that we're a business and we have to be in order for it to be sustainable and, and transition to the next generation. We got to be making a profit. But we don't we don't want price things outrageous. Uh, if we we'll, we'll know our numbers and and try try to make a, a, a decent to get the business running, but we we don't want to gouge, uh, overpriced things. Sure, sure. What product is your most profitable right now? As an animal, animal. Is, is our pork, um, hands down. Just like us, because we. We couldn't even keep it in stock, but um, yeah, as far as a product goes, um, right now, because we haven't had pork in stock for so long, mm-hmm. um, I would think some some of our beef, wouldn't you? Beef. Um, maybe our ground beef, because it moves, it moves pretty fast. Um, that's one of those things. Um, we visited a farm yesterday, and she really... Um, hit the nail on the head when she said, you know, ground beef is one of those things that a family who wants to feed their family good, but may not have the budget, you know, to get like these more expensive cuts, that ground beef is something that they can, you know, buy a lot of and be able to do a lot with and feed their family um, at a decent price. And it's still come from, you know, a, a local farmer um, raised, raised good. So that's really something that we, we move a good bit of too is, is ground beef. That's true. That is true. Now, when I was talking to some other farmers in Alabama, I was told by one guy that, um, the rain can stop for, you know, two months at a time. Yeah. Yeah. We have droughts occasionally. We had a, yeah, we had a- what do you guys do for that? I mean, how do you keep sheep and cows going and with, when the rain stops? Um, the forage based system. Mm-hmm. So, hay, we, we okay. Our dad has we do hay, and last year we had to buy hay we did. For, for the first time in a while because of the oh. drought. We had to source hay from somewhere else. Um, but we have several ponds and then access to city water, and we mm-hmm. have wells too. Yeah, as far as the forage goes, hay, we've had to some years we start feeding hay extremely early, just depending on. Um, the rain and uh, yeah, yeah, that is something that we do have to face from year to year is the, is the droughts. Do you guys have to feed hay over the winter or is it warm enough where you we, are? We, we feed hay. Yeah, we feed you do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How many, how many, how long is your hay season in the wintertime? Start in November, probably go to March. Yeah. November to early March. Yeah, start tapering off in March, I think. So four four months? Wow. You guys zone eight? Zone, you said zone? What, what growing zone are you guys? Uh, seven. Mm-hmm. Oh, I thought you were hotter than that. Okay. Oh, it gets hot in the summer. It's about coldness in the winter. That's how the zones are determined, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I'm not real sure. I don't know how they come up with the numbers. I know it's hot in not July and August. <laughs> yeah, it yeah. is. Yeah, it is. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I feel bad for you guys. I mean, I like warm weather, but damn, I mean, <laughs> you're here uh, in Alabama. My goodness, Alabama's one of those states where you can experience four, four, all four seasons in one month. Yeah, snow, flood, cold weather, jacket, fall. Yeah, it's crazy. We've had it before. 
Oh my goodness. Crazy world. So what what beef cows make it there? Oh, the, the herd's primarily Angus. Primarily Angus? Mm -hmm. Do you well, go ahead. Oh, Black Angus. And then uh, her dad's bought some Hereford bulls he's putting in. Uh -huh. And it's been experimenting with for five years now with a Wagyu bull. Mm -hmm. We should see the first oh. processed beef from it in January. Um, so we started like five years ago. Was it 2018, 2017? I can't remember. We AI'd 14 cows, only one took, and it ended up being a bull. And so it was 50% away goop, 50% Angus. So we raised it up, turned it into a herd bull, put it with some cows. It, they had babies, and that was a batch of 10. And that batch of 10 is going to process in January. So when they process in January, it's going to be like six years before we finally see the fruits of our labor, <laughs> um, see how Angus Wagyu cross turns out on a, in a grass-fed system most way goo you hear are in grain fed so we're gonna yeah maybe a uh, an error there but we'll find out <laughs> that's <laughs> going to be interesting yeah i mean that's what the the wagyu guy that i talked to um that's what he said he said that they are not well suited for uh forage systems what did he say i'm trying to remember patrick bookman um Bookman Brothers Wagyu here in Ohio. He's like pretty close. He's local um, to me. He said that there's two different kinds of Wagyu. Yeah. Akaushi is the, red one. Yeah. The red Wagyu, he said, is better for grass based systems. We got. That's right. what we have. Yeah. I can't remember the name of the black one. So, what about Joel's? What about Joel's uh, thing he says about he tries to stay away from black animals because the hide, the solar gain on the hide and the heat gets them like 20 degrees um, yeah. hide difference temperature wise yeah. in the sun. That's something that he went over on his um, his farm tour when we toured. And that was one thing that stood out to me uh -huh. because they'll they'll spend a lot of their time in the shade and not grazing was what yeah. he had said. You they know, they're not morning in the evening but out in the middle of the day. And um I don't know. For us, I guess it's a it it it's what we've always done. We know we know it. They, they're they're forging enough, um, in the morning and the evening. And her dad and mom has over the, the decades have put a lot of effort in in getting sourcing good quality bulls. So we got some good genetics here on the farm, and uh, it, it produces some good could be Angus beef. They crossed them with Brangus before. Um, different, different genetics. It's got some good, good, good looking cows. Most of them are black, Angus. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, but there's some that are, are, are Hereford crosses. Um, we're going back to the Hereford crosses. Yeah. Now. So we'll see those in probably two or three years to feed out. Now you guys in Alabama have in the Black Belt region, you have something called Piney Woods cattle. Yes, we got some friends that's got those. Well, how do they do? I don't know. Uh, they they've got two of them, and they just had their calves a couple months or so ago. They're in a wooded area, and they they seem to be doing all right. I don't think they're doing like rotational grazing on forage or anything, are they? Because they're in the they're in the woods. In the woods, they got some clearing. They're clearing some stuff off and planting grass. Um, but they're doing dual purpose: meat and milk is what the one they got. Them. They're pretty. Is that what cow. Woods are. 
Yeah, I think they're dual, dual purpose, meat and milk. Oh, okay. Yeah, they didn't look real beefy like Angus. They look kind of leaner. Yeah, they're smaller breed. They, they, they don't grow as big. Yeah, that's the other thing that a lot of people with um, grass-based forage systems, they go for animals that are like a 1,000 pounds at finish. I am not a cattle person, so I'm very curious about it, but... I don't know. They're so big. They kind of scare me a little bit. I, I just, I'll, I'll, I'll stick with my, my, my goats and my sheep, I think. But uh, my husband would love to get into cattle and my neighbors tell me that my sheep are, and my goats are much more problematic than their cows. Their cows can be kept in with two little ribbons, two mm. little electronet ribbons. They stay in. I'm like, my sheep would be like in the next county. The goats would be laughing at me. There's no way. <laughs> <laughs> so, we just now got our um sheep herd to where they're trying to the just the two yeah. poly wires um poly reels because that's they're running with our cows and um they're finally starting to respect it it yeah. took a lot a lot of time um, a lot of trial and error we have a a leader she's the ringleader and if wherever she goes everybody follows and every time she would just go right through it but I think I think she maybe got shocked a time too many because she's finally starting to respect it. <laughs> the reason why we built our mobile sheep pen is because when we weaned the the they're called weathers when she banned them, uh, mm -hmm. they would escape from everything. And we put them in our our chicken tractors; they bust through them. So we built a mobile sheep pen. Um, it's a sixteen by sixteen. Uh, pin on wheels built out of cattle panels and metal tubing and we put our our male wieners and our rams in that move it across pasture and that's kept them contained because the rams they escape we don't really have a lot of issues with the the ewes winning them but the rams escape from everything so we got a mobile sheep pen and that, that thing's really really useful it's versatile we can use it for anything uh, quarantine so you, pen. so you roll roll it every day Yes, we roll it every day, and then when they get big enough, they roll it themselves. Really? Yeah, and I found out that my welding wasn't that great. Uh, they popped. <laughs> we had to put pot plant on, uh, but now it's working. Um, yeah, it's great. We want to build some more. Uh, it could be a, a quarantine pen. You put pigs in it. Um, kids can work out their differences in it. Wrestling <laughs> arena. Uh, if you haven't seen the video, you can check it out on YouTube. It's pretty cool. Go like I got the idea from Justin Rhodes. Um, oh yeah, yeah. So I'm not, not going to take credit there. Justin Rhodes had some guy. I think it was Holler Homestead. Mm -hmm. Um, and then Perma Pastures, I believe we follow them. They they built one, so we built one and kind of tweaked it, put our own little spin on it. There's a guy who just came to my farm and he bought five weathers from me, sheep, and uh, he said they're all going in his. 16 by 16 rolling uh, sheep container. Yeah. And he said, they'll be going in there at nighttime. I was like, huh, it's going to be interesting. So, yeah. We like it. We put a shade cloth of fabric over it. So. Oh, it makes sense. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They got shade. Mm -hmm. there. And so their water just goes with them. It's mounted on the side. Yeah. Yeah. What, what do you, what do you guys think is, um, what do you think? What do you think about the future of small farms? in america um future small farms all right so i guess i'll start out with the flaw in my opinion on the current system okay um 
I think it was back in 1970s, the USDA Sec- Secretary of USA, US Secretary of Agriculture made a statement. I think it was go big or go home. Earl Butts. He's, yeah. he's, he's, <laughs> 2019, I think another U.S. Secretary of Agriculture made a statement: "The big get bigger and the small gut get out, or whatever." Yeah. So that has been the mentality of our government for decades now. Um, the laws, policies, trade deals, and everything that they've been uh, implementing have been det- detrimental. Detrimental. To the, to the American farmer, the, which has been the backbone for our country for since the beginning. Um, those they that mentality of, of, of grow things fast, cheap, large quantity, uh, and big has put a lot of farms out of business. Um, tens of thousands of them. One example would be like the the raw milk we mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. Something that was sustained humans for since the beginning of time has been made illegal and unfit for human consumption in the 90s. That's 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 not for our safety. That's political. But that right there resulted in hundreds and thousands of farms going out of business, dairies, maybe tens of thousands. But uh, and it's consolidated to a handful of larger corporations. So that's that's a flaw there on top of the, the American farmer. It's probably one of the hardest working, uh, unpredictable, I can't say that word, unpredictable jobs and most capital intensive jobs there is out there. The last statistic I read was that the American farmer receives like 14 cents for every food dollar produced. Yeah. Okay. They have, they're operating a very capital intensive job. Got debt that's passed on most of the time to the next generation, all because the system that's in place, the middlemen get most of that profit. Um, so that's some that's just some of the flaws I have with the current system. Now, uh, that's that's a, what you call a decentralized food system. Familiar with that term. Um, and then here comes along a black swan event we all know as COVID. Um, when that happened, that was an event that affected our our mentality, the way we think. Um, just like the Great Depression affected our great grandparents, the way they think, they thought. They you know they were they wanted to be more frugal. Uh, they saved everything, they canned everything. So that event affected them for the rest of their life. Well, COVID comes along, and that event affected us. There seems to be since pre-COVID, a, a huge increase in support, shopping local. Um, more people wanted to get into agriculture and farming. To build resiliency in our food system, we need more support for the local small-scale farmers. It's not all about big. There's a place for big. There needs to be a place for the small farmer as well to build, to be our contingency plan. Because uh, when, when the centralized system, the chain breaks, the whole system crumbles, we were left with uh, grocery shelves ran empty because trucks quit moving, plants quit operating. Uh, we need to move move in, into that direction, and a, a good way to do that is for the consumers to start voting with their dollar. That's the big thing right there. 
that will make change. When a, when a consumer chooses to uh, shop local, they provide that farmer with the substance they need to continue to do what they do, to grow, diversify, add more products. And when they get that, that they get more of that food dollar instead of 14 cents. That is huge to build sustainability and resiliency and, and pass on the farm to the next generation. And a, a way we, we can help each other as farmers and also as consumers, something that I do occasionally a lot, we get a, a calls from people and they're like, hey, do y'all produce raw milk? We, we don't produce raw milk. So I'll be like, where are you located? And they'll tell me and I'll point them to a direction to where they can get what they want. Now, that might be a new customer and it might be a, an existing customer. They'll go to that other farm. And if it's that farm's closer to them, they may they may buy pork from them or chicken if it's closer to them. And we may lose that sale. I That is perfectly fine because the more convenient we make it for the consumer, the more likely they will purchase from a local farmer. And that's money going into some farmer's banking account. So I don't look at it as we're each other's competition. Our competition is in those grocery store shelves. So the way we support each other and build resiliency is to make it more convenient for the consumer. So that's, I said a lot there. No, I, I, I agree with what you with what you said. It's very true. Um, do you use special kind of software to manage it in internet marketing? And like, what's, what's, what's the secret sauce? Cause obviously you're reaching the consumer directly and you're doing a good job. If you're selling out of your chicken repeatedly, mm. unless you're not charging enough and that might be the case too, but <laughs> <laughs> Hey, give it away. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, that's a lot to organize. That's a lot to keep mm. track of. Mm -hmm. I think um, I think with our with the backgrounds that we've had, um, I've been in multiple management positions, and I think that's really um, helped where we are now um, to have that experience. Because I feel um, like a lot of the the management side of of things I kind of handle, and so managing the um, the social medias and and the um, the website um, and really just it comes down to I think telling our story just being who we are and and being real and and just saying hey this is who we are and we mess up and we've learned from it and you know we're the Morrisons and we hope you join us for the ride and it can be bumpy but it it's at the end of the day it's it's amazing and and I'm so thankful that we're able to do this and and you know people can I feel like can see um how authentic you are and just how raw you can be. And they just, they, they want to be a part of your story. Um, I think that's really the biggest thing there is, is um, just tell your story and um, just, just, you know, I don't want to use the term live your life, but, you know, just show them your world because there's a lot of people that um, would love to be farming, would love to be doing what we're doing. And, um, you know, they, they may not have um, the option to do that. And so for them to be able to see that that side, to see that world, um, that plays a huge role in, in what we do and how we get get our story across, I think. Yeah, that is true. People do like to support their small local farmers. Like when I sell a product to a customer, whether it's, you know, half of 
you know, it's, if it's a leg of lamb or some bratwursts or if it's some eggs or whatever, I always say, thank you for supporting local agriculture, a small yeah. family farm. Yeah. And that's, and I, they, they smile. And then I make sure that they understand that I am deeply appreciative that they trusted me and came to me and paid their good money to me. So I had the privilege of feeding their family ah. and earned that trust. You know, that's, that's sacred to me. And when I express that understanding, they've even come back to me and said, man, he, I'm not going to hear that from Purdue. I'm not going to hear that from anyone at Kroger. You know, that's just not there, but they have that relationship. Wow. Have that relationship with me. Then they'll call me up. Hey, do you have any extra turkeys? I know it's Christmas Eve. Do you have any extra turkeys? Actually, I got one in deep freeze. You want it for half price? Cause I've had it for, you know, nine months. Yeah, I'll take it. You know? Yeah. So, yeah. You can, you can, you can, you have those relationships, mm-hmm. you know, but that's built through trust and appreciation and, and mutual respect. You don't get that unless you share your story. Even if your sheep have gotten loose, even if, you know, I've given someone the wrong dozen eggs and, you know, then they crack it open and the kids are never the same again after that. (laughs) You know, (laughs) there's an eye, (laughs) you know? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I hear where you're coming from. I absolutely hear it. That's, that's one of the reasons I do this is because I want, I encourage people, you know, like, oh, just start somewhere, just do something. Yeah. It just opens people's eyes so much. And, and even supporting your farm and supporting my farm, supporting us, that's even their first step. That's before they've got their backyard chickens, before they've got the gateway, you know, before they, like I did, I, I ripped up, I ripped up my whole backyard in suburbia and turned it into an organic, uh, into organic garden and fruit trees. It was fantastic. My, my neighbors are like, oh, like, I don't know, some of them were like, that's so cool. And some of them were like rolling their eyes, like what an eyesore. There's always some, but yeah, yeah. so I've got a farm. But, you know, it's, I, I always encourage people and I hear the same thing from all the small farmers that I talk to also, which is just start, just do something. Grow mm-hmm. a single tomato plant, like keep a single pet chicken. Do, you know, grow some basil in a pot on your windowsill you know something yeah start somewhere yeah yeah I'll, I'm very, I, I encourage i promote or we, we promote uh people to to do what they can themselves whether it be a chicken or tomato plant or whatever yeah and, and if they can't do it themselves come to us or some other local farmer to get what they need yeah um, instead of going down to walmart um, yeah. but we, we encourage self-sufficiency more you know, it's funny because the first time I processed my own chicken, it struck me that it didn't smell like chicken. <laughs> How's that for being a city chick, right? I'm like, this chicken is different. My husband's like, what do you mean? It's, 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 it doesn't smell like chicken. He's like, what does it smell like? I'm like, it smells like nothing. I'm like, it doesn't smell like anything. I don't, I don't get it. There's no chick. There's no chicken smell. And this is like a, there for a while. right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I started asking around and that chicken smell that we're all used to that comes from the grocery store. That's not chicken smell. That's, that's stuff growing on it. That's the bad stuff. Mm. You know, if you haven't eaten chicken from the grocery store, you might have even forgotten what that smells like, but, um, I think the only, uh, 
we eat chicken. I mean, uh, Chick-fil-A. Yeah. I That's different. This. I'm talking about the raw stuff from the package. No, we don't buy it from the grocery store. Oh. But we, we're all about the healthy eating, healthy living and all that. But, yeah. I mean, we're millennials. We grew up on fast food and and uh, all that, the milkshakes. I mean, occasionally after working hard and we don't want to slave over the stove, we we're both enjoy cooking. But sometimes it's just, hey, let's go Chick-fil-A and get us a burger and a shake. You just, you got to have it. It's all it's all about moderation. Yeah. Uh, I'm glad you can still do that. Reduce your consumption of commercially chemically sprayed preservative filled foods best mm -hmm. you can. Every now and then, enjoy a good burger. Milkshake. Mm -hmm. It's tough to make your own milkshake when you're dripping buckets of sweat after being outside. Yeah. So what are you guys planning on doing besides this um this actually that this processing plant is huge. I mean huge. It's a big deal. What is that like? Trying to get the government to say yes, you pass? I mean, come on. Like if you would have asked us a I don't know, even ago. last year, yeah. it would have been like, mm -mm, no, we're we're not, we don't, you know, this isn't the route we're gonna go. Um we wouldn't even have thought anything about being any kind of governed by anything, but yeah. um, we've uh, under in Alabama, we could do 20,000 birds the way we, we've been doing it. Mm -hmm. And we could probably stay there for a, forever. Um, but we've been trying to build our building out of pocket and it's not feasible. Like we, was, we was blessed enough to make a, a good profit on sun in our house. We put that into our building and we bought all the material and stuff for it um, before prices went crazy. And uh, we had the, ex the exterior built and then prices went out the roof and uh, all of the funds we thought we would have had to try to get us in the building has went elsewhere mm -hmm. um, to get this new house. Yeah. yeah. So we've been trying to do it out of pocket and wanted to, and stay under the exemption, but to get our battleship out of the harbor and and me not be 67 years old by then we either got to get loans but i'm not doing a loan the government no bank's going to own a single acre of this farm as long as i'm alive uh kylie too she agree with degree um so the only option would be grant usda grant and there's a lot there seems to be a lot of support from our government right now for a small scale building the food systems up. A lot of grants coming out. Really? So we're going to give it a shot, I think. We'll see, what, see what happens. It's a goal, but we'll see if it, you know, if it comes to fruitation and and kind of what uh what we've run into over the next few months and what doors are opened and what doors are shut. We've faced many during our journey, so we'll see what happens. So what's your favorite part about farming? You want me to go first? <laughs> yeah, mine is just being being with the family, the the family aspect of it. Um, just getting out there and, um, like I mentioned earlier, just kind of just getting my hands in the dirt or just being around the animals and just being with the boys and teaching them this this way of life. That's really what it comes down to is being able to teach and raise my boys um, this way, just to be grounded and realize where their food's coming from and what it what hard work is and um what it takes um to to have a goal and a dream and how to get there and 
you know, that's that's my my biggest thing is what it all comes down to. It's just just getting to do this with them and and for them to learn learn what they can from it. That was well said. I agree totally. <laughs> you looking forward to being able to do this full time, Josh? Uh maybe one day. That's a that's a down the road goal, but like yeah. again, if I can't achieve my goal, fine. At least kids will get a shot at it. Um, we'll pass down a business to them. Um, we started. We got a secondary business that'll be an option, uh, an engineering type business. That might be another. They may not go. Our kids may not choose to go farming. That's that's okay. Um, they may go the tech route like we did, and they may come back. Like we did. kids. Yeah, the farm kids get thrown. Yeah. <laughs> they come right back. <laughs> if, if, if one kid enjoys uh, cooking, I mean, we, we're thinking about doing a restaurant on farm table event. Mm. Well, we'll go that route and let a kid be a chef. Um, yeah, I feel like with farming too, there's so many, so many outlets yeah. that you can go with. With agritourism. Agritourism, cooking. Yeah. You know, it's just, there's so many outlets there. So we'll see what happens. Flowers are getting big. They are flowers. Flowers are getting big because of what's going on in the Netherlands. You know, the Netherlands is the 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 most flowers on the planet that comes out of the Netherlands. And with all the pressure on them and the power costs and the shipping and everything that's going on in their farming sector, it's just been just you know, just don't get the same type of uh flowers at the at the you know, the lower cost. So and then you can get varieties here in the United States that don't ship very well from Holland. And so the, the flower businesses are going crazy. Like I know I've got two friends of mine who have pivoted from produce to flowers and they're doing better. Wow. I feel bad because I'm like, you can't eat flowers. Well, most of them can't eat most flowers, but yeah. you know, it's not like a, I'll have a bowl of flowers for dinner, but um, it, it's, it's quite profitable. You guys are just all livestock, right? Um, we ha we have a personal garden. But, um, yeah, you don't have like I'm saying you don't do any any produce with your and your your CSA is all like meat or right. just a, yeah. yeah yeah. We yeah. probably have we'll have honey this year for the first. Oh, that's right. That's right. You said you were going to do honey. Yeah. We'll try that. Um, and then maybe rabbits next year. Her uh, sister and brother-in-law are raising rabbits to breed, and then we're going to do the first batch. Figure it out for ourselves. Mm-hmm. And then maybe by next spring or so, we'll have rabbits to sell. But uh, starting to dabble a lot with uh, you, you ever permaculture. Yep. Organic orchard, permaculture beyond organic. Yep. Okay. Uh, Perma pastures on YouTube. Mm -hmm. It's doing a lot of studying and and watching them for the past couple of years, and I'm very intrigued with with um, planting fruit trees and berry bushes. We've actually started it. We got like. 13 uh fruit trees and 10 or so berry bushes we're going to work we're planting that uh the permacultural style style orchard we're kind of doing it a little different um we're, we're planting that little islands putting a, a pile of wood chips in the island with a fruit tree and berry bushes and other edible stuff in in islands and one to serve as a shade for our animals because we don't have a lot of shade trees mm -hmm. uh, mostly pasture uh and then the, the fruits that it that it produces we can eat it maybe customers can eat it animals could eat it um try to reduce our feed cost um so hopefully maybe one day do a you pick 
I don't know, but we're uh, we're dabbling with the the growing of stuff. But a lot of times, we in the past when we grow stuff, it tends to die. <laughs> we're, we're we're meat producers, not real gardeners, but we're, we're experimenting with it. Yeah. I I feel for you. I planted um, six fruit trees this morning with my son. We were up and out there sweating in the heat and um, planting, dig, digging and planting these uh, six fruit trees in the spots where I had previously had six other fruit trees. And the first time we planted them, uh, deer just rubbed off all their velvet and just destroyed them. Oh, wow. Yep. And then um, replanted some and uh, was struck by lightning. Mm -hmm. yeah fried most of my fruit trees just crispy sticks like okay third time's a charm <laughs> we put six more trees in i was like and, and there were two still living that like one from the first batch had survived and one from the second batch had survived so slowly i'm making progress i'm like i will be damned if i'm going to replant this whole orchard six more times just to have eight fruit trees but yeah, yeah, we're doing a mix of things. We got peach, cherry, apple, pear, but I definitely want to do nut trees for what, the reason you were talking about, because I wanted to have nut trees so we can turn the sheep loose in the in the fall in the orchard and let them eat the nuts and the and the dropped fruit and everything. Clean it all up. We planted plum, persimmon, apricot, apple, pear, mm -hmm. but we got and we had a similar ordeal. We planted our trees three days, three or four days later. We were rotating the sheep and cows through, and we were it was a hard, rough day. And we were at, it was about seven o'clock at night, getting dark. It was like, should we put netting around these trees? Uh, we rotated the pigs, and I mean, the, we rotated the cows and sheep in the same area where the fruit trees were. And we was like, ah, it's just gonna. We're just waiting in the morning. I'm too tired. Next morning, I get up. We go feed and everything and they wreaked havoc the sheep or cows one ate all the young branches one apricot tree got split in half one tree's dead now um, but uh yeah so we should have put netting around the trees to protect them <laughs> but oh my god learning yep absolutely i really appreciated uh your stories is there anything you want to share with anyone who's new to farming or thinking about getting into farming before you leave any advice fellow millennials baby steps i mean baby steps don't 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 buy two more you can chew yeah. i guess yeah well this has been super fun i really appreciate it how can people follow you what's your website and your insta and your youtube and all your channels ernest roots farm our website's ernestrootsfarm.com and then yeah. our instagram and facebook's just ernest roots farm do you have a newsletter or something that you put out? I do. I put out. Um, I try to do a newsletter weekly. Sometimes it doesn't happen because we get really busy. But um, I try to do a weekly newsletter, and it'll have like all the um, farm updates, sales that we've got going on, just information like that. And then we do have a YouTube channel. Um, it's just Ernest Roots Farm too, isn't it? Yep. You can just search it. The reason why we did the YouTube channel was for ease of categorization. Um, so we we um, had a bunch of videos out there on YouTube, and, I mean, Facebook and Instagram, but it was hard searching different topics. So we started the YouTube channel, we have things categorized like pasture pork, pasture poultry, honeybees, uh, home cooking, mm -hmm. uh, 
different little videos, little playlists you can go through and you want, you want to look at a certain topic, you can easily search for it. I do the YouTube mostly. She does Facebook and Instagram. Hope to see more uh, farm hacks and inventions out of your side of the, the shop there, Josh. Thank you. All right. You take care. Bye. Bye.